Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Right. Thank you so much for your giving. Uh, we've been in a series entitled Table Talk, and we are going to close out uh, this series today. In week one, we talked about four steps to ruin a relationship. That message was designed to help you navigate all relationships, not just marriage or with your kids. Or It, it was designed for all relationships. And then last week, we talked about dysfunctional dating. And, uh, you know, as I, I studied and prepared for that message and, and I learned that 61% of those 18 years of age and older are not married. And that's all age range, uh, demographics, economics, all that kind of stuff, uh, that the majority of people in their adult life are not married. Uh, that tells me that we, the church, we got to do a better job of, of just uh, seeing everything through the lens of marriage. Uh, we do marriage conferences, marriage retreats, uh, we have marriage small groups, all that's good, but how many know we need to speak a little more to those that are in the dating world and those who want to one day be married if 61% of them are not married. And so we talked about dysfunctional dating last week, um, and the whole thing about this series is, is that we've been trying to set up and communicate that no one enters into a relationship expecting for that relationship to fall apart. Nobody signs up for marriage or a friendship or any relationship with expectations that it will fail, but all of us have experienced uh, dysfunctional relationships. We've all experienced pain and brokenness when it comes to our relationships. So how is it that we want one thing, but oftentimes we experience something totally different than what we wanted. And I believe it's because it, it turns out that there are habits, there are attitudes, there are actions we slip into, and even though they are unintentional, they still cause damage. And this series is meant to help us avoid those pitfalls in our relationships. And we've been learning all of these uh, things from one man from Scripture. His name is Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. All right, you grew up in Sunday school singing about Father Abraham, right, who had many sons. But we've been talking about Abraham, and Abraham's an interesting character because God used him to do great things, amazing things, a great man of faith, yet when we look at his relationships, many of them were dysfunctional, which tells me that I can be doing great spiritually and still be in dysfunction relationally. That tells me that I need to be intentional about being spiritual, but I also need to be intentional about my relationships, that it's something that I've got to work at and be intentional. And so I want to close this series out with uh, talking about Abraham's marriage with a, a marriage sermon today. Go ahead, if you're sitting next to your spouse, and tell them, pay attention. All right, this is going to be good. Um, but I want to call today's message, the closeout sermon, I want to call this a divided house. A divided house. Displayed on the official seal of the United States is the well-known Latin phrase, e pluribus unum. That simply means out of many, one. Out of many, one. 
This phrase came into use during the Revolutionary War because the American colonies, they recognized they could either find a way to unify people with different interests, politics, and backgrounds, or they could be crushed by Great Britain's military might. And at the signing of the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Franklin famously remarked, this is what he said, gentlemen, we must now all hang together or we shall most assuredly all hang separately. His words reflect a truth that still remains relevant for you and I, and the truth is this, a house divided never stands. Outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ, um, your marriage is the most important relationship you have. It will produce your most lasting memories, It will dictate your most important decisions, and it will be the biggest influence on your quality of life. And it is for those reasons that it is the one relationship that experiences the most opposition from our spiritual enemy. There is no relationship that your spiritual enemy will oppose more than your marriage. Because marriage is more than a social contract. Marriage is a spiritual statement. Why do you think marriage is under uh, so much controversy in our culture? It's because the enemy hates marriage. Because it's more than a social contract, it is a spiritual statement. The Bible tells us that in the Garden of Eden, the first picture of marriage was a man, a woman, and God. And God reinforced that in the book of Revelation as heaven is described as Jesus being the groom, the church being the bride, and God there with both the groom and the bride enjoying eternity. At the beginning, it was a groom, it was a bride, and it was God. And at the end, it's a groom, it was a bride, and it is God. Your marriage carries the very image of God, and that's why the enemy hates it. Your image reflects the very image of God. And although there are many ways to damage relationships, your spiritual enemy works one strategy over and over, and that strategy is divide and conquer. It explains why most, one of the most common phrases I hear when I speak to couples who are having trouble in their marriage or even contemplating divorce, one of the common phrases I often hear is, we are not on the same page. We're not on the same page. We, we fight all the time. We do not get along. We don't view money the same. We don't view parenting the same. We don't agree on where we should live and what we should do with our lives and our careers. And, and, and I say that to bring to your attention that it's not always adultery and abuse. A lot of the time, it's simply disunity. Everybody say disunity. Very important. The enemy knows when a husband and wife are on the same page, they are insurmountable. But if he can get that same couple to allow conflict and dishonor to become the atmosphere of their home, destruction is inevitable. His goal is simple. Divide your house, therefore wreck your house. And the reality of that is true for your marriage, it's true for my marriage, and it was true for Abraham's marriage. 
I don't know how long they had been married, but one day Abraham and Sarah, their whole life shifted when God spoke to Abraham and he invited him to leave everything he was familiar with and to establish a new land. And in this new land, God would partner with Abraham in bringing forth a new nation. That this would be a new nation, a a people set apart to display to the world God's love for humanity. And Abraham and Sarah, when they were invited to go on this journey with God and and receive this calling, they were thrilled about it. They were excited about the journey. And the years passed, Abraham's influence grew, his wealth grew, but there was one big, big problem. They had no children. And that's that's an important fact to mention because it's hard to bring forth a promised nation without a pregnancy. And to make matters worse, they are in their 80s. And this was the opening the enemy needed to bring division. In Genesis chapter number 16, starting in verse number 1, It says, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Everybody say, bad idea. How many would agree that's a bad idea, right? That's a bad, I mean, really bad idea. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram this, this just boggles my mind. Abram agreed with Sarah. How many, another bad idea. I know she suggested it, but he agreed. Two bad ideas. He agreed with her proposal, and so Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Then Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. We'll just let that settle. It's all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. You know what I love about the Bible? It's timeless. I mean, it is timeless. Just think about this. This happened 4,000 years ago, yet it presents like the latest episode of your favorite reality TV show. I mean, all you really need in this is a therapist and a catchy name, right? And you you would have a hit. I mean, it could be my man, my maid, and me. How about geriatric love triangle? I mean, we, we could come up, and, and you would have a hit on your hands. As crazy as the whole scenario seems in its inception, the part that is mind-blowing is Scripture tells us that Hagar and Ishmael would live in that home with Abraham and Sarah for the next 17 years. So this conflict, this turmoil, this disunity was allowed to be present in their home for 17 years. 17 years of conflict. See, marriages are made of two different people, 
And moments of disagreement are natural. How many of you would say moments of disagreement with your spouse is natural? Wave at me. Come on. Like you, you, that, that's a natural thing. You're going to have moments of disagreement. That is natural. The danger is when we allow the things that come between us to remain or stay in our homes. The danger is not the disagreement. The danger is not the conflict. The danger is when the conflict is allowed to live in our home, creating disunity. And that's where a lot of couples live. They let moments of pain go unresolved. We let words that hurt just hang in the air. We let the same disagreements reoccur, never being bold enough to talk about them or put them to rest. And we think by avoiding the conflict or pushing it to the back of our minds or letting things go unsaid that we are somehow keeping the peace, but what we are doing is we're actually giving room for our spiritual enemy. What you may not realize about the story, if you would go and reread it, this was not the first time that there was an attempt to divide Abraham and Sarah. Scripture tells us that they were nearly separated by a king in Egypt. They were also nearly separated by a leader, a tribal leader named Abimelech. And now they're being separated by the servant Hagar. Each one from a pagan nation because the enemy wanted to prevent God's promise from coming to pass. You may not realize this, but on the day you stood at an altar and you said, I do, and your spouse said, I do, the promise of God for your marriage was then, at that moment, activated, and it was a promise of peace, contentment, intimacy, strength, growth, and godliness. God has never created anything to fail, and that includes your marriage. If you believe that, give Jesus a hand. If you believe he did not create it for it to fail. The moment you said, I do, the promise of God was activated, but the enemy wants to deny you the promise of God. And he does it through petty divisions, painful disagreements, like Abraham and Sarah, you have a promise at stake, but you only receive the promise if unity becomes something you work for instead of something you hope for. There's a difference between working towards something and hoping for something. And a lot of times we're just hoping that our home will be unified, that our marriage will be unified. But we got to take it past hope and we've got to be intentional. So what I want to do today is I want to help you to discover areas where there might be disunity in your marriage, all right? Where there might be disunity in your marriage, and it's important that we discover disunity in the marriage because we cannot resolve problems and conflict if we have not identified that they exist. And I want to be able to help you do this through asking you four questions. I want you to ask yourself this. I want you to ask uh, your, your relationship, your marriage. I want you as a couple to ask these four questions today to discover if there's any disunity in your marriage. Question number one, if you're taking notes, write it down. If you're not taking notes, write it down. I know some of y'all got a perfect marriage made in heaven, right? Number one, where do we have unresolved conflict? Where do we have unresolved conflict? This could happen so quickly. 
Um, you can be on the same page. Everything's going good. You got peace, unity. How many know one conversation can change all that? Have you ever had one of those moments where everything was good and maybe, just maybe, you took a trip in a conversation down memory lane? And then something is brought up and you went from peace and unity to immediate conflict because some of you, you don't get hysterical in conversation, you get historical in conversation. You're out on a nice date, you know, you're having dinner, everything's great, and for whatever reason, you took the trip down memory lane and you started talking about old boyfriends and old girlfriends, and before you know it, we've got conflict because, again, we don't get hysterical. Some of us, we get historical. And nobody, though, we're, nobody is surprised by conflict in a relationship. All of us understand that conflict happens, and I believe 90 to 95% of the conflict that we face in marriages, in relationships, we resolve and we fix in a reasonable amount of time. The problem it's not the 95% that we fix in a reasonable time frame, but it's the 5% of issues that, get, that, that do not get resolved because we're too tired to talk about it. We're in a busy season. We push it down and we don't address it instead of bringing it up. It's the 5% that we don't resolve that becomes dangerous. It's kind of like cancer. When we talk about cancers, cancer is when cells in your body no longer want to be unified. That's what cancer is. Cells in your body no longer want to be unified, and they begin operating in a damaging fashion. And what's interesting is that your body is made up of 100 million cells, but it only takes a few rogue cells to destroy the entire body. And so I'm saying that to say that unresolved conflict is a cancer to your marriage. That's why Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice that you and I, we don't create unity, but we have to keep it. God creates unity when he puts you together. When, he, when you stand on an altar and say, I do, the promise of God is activated. God creates unity on that union, but it is now your responsibility to keep what he has created. That's why the writer says, do whatever it takes. Make every effort to keep the unity. And I think a lot of times we could do that in a marriage if we could just learn what Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, it's not on the screen, but this morning I felt impressed to add this. It says this, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. How many know that your marriage would be a whole lot better if you had learned how to overlook some wrongs? Instead of pointing out every, some of y'all, you point out so many problems that even the way he breathes gets on your nerves. Can you just stop breathing? You snore. Some of y'all laughing because you know you pick, you pick, you pick. But, but you got to learn, if you're going to have a marriage that is lasting, that's unified, how many of you know you're going to have to learn to overlook some wrongs? You're going to have to learn. You're going to have to learn. I, I say it all the time to people. Like, pick your battles. Do you really want to fight for the next three hours over something so insignificant? 
And yet a lot of couples, they end up in this terrible place because they're fighting over things that, that don't even matter. And we look at the scripture, and, and let me just say this. Following Jesus is denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. That's what it means to be in relationship with Christ. And if you're going to have a great marriage, a powerful marriage, an anointed marriage, a unified marriage, you're going to have to learn, sir, ma'am, how to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus in that marriage. There is no room for selfishness in the marriage. And Paul, when he's writing about this, I, I believe what he's given us in Ephesians 4 um, is, is somewhat of a CAT scan of our soul. Because he uses four words in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, four words or four virtues. And I want these four virtues to be the CAT scan of your soul today. He uses the word humility. This is important because when it comes to being humble, let's just ask, do you regularly serve your spouse? Do you regularly serve your spouse? Whose interest gets more attention? When is the last time you apologize? Not, I'm waiting on an apology. When is the last time you apologize? Gentleness was the next word he used. Let me ask this, are you argumentative? Do you find yourself responding harshly to your spouse? Are you gracious with your words? When you're frustrated with your spouse, how is your tone? Gentle. Is it gentle? The next word he uses is patience. Are you willing to wait on God to change your spouse, or are you the Holy Ghost for them? Wow, this is going great. You know why? Because in marriage, you know what we try to do? We try to fix our spouse. We try to change our spouse. We try to rush our spouse. We try to drag our spouse. Not understanding that at the end of the day, it's not my call, it's not your call to change our spouse. That is God's job. If they need change, let God do it. If you're trying to change them, you're gonna make things worse. You gotta allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in their life. The last part of that, he uses tolerance in love. He, the phrase is bearing with one another, he said, bearing with one another. Do you give your spouse your full attention? Do your friends and coworkers get more grace than the person you, you've joined your life to? Are you keeping a list of wrongs? I had a dream a couple of weeks ago, and I shared it this past week with Karen. I had this dream. And in the dream, I, I hate saying I had a dream because I feel like I'm about to give a speech. I'm not giving a speech. Um, but I had this dream, and in the dream, there was this massive scoreboard. I mean, it was bigger than this LED wall. It's like one of the ones you would see uh, at, at a stadium. I mean, it was just a massive scoreboard. And in the dream, I don't even remember who all was in the dream, but I could see in the dream that we were trying to get rid of the scoreboard. We were trying to get rid of it, like throw it away, demolish it, destroy it. And the Holy Spirit, when I was praying about what the dream meant, I felt like he impressed upon me to share it with you today that for a lot of marriages, the reason you're not unified and the reason things are not going well is because you've got a massive scoreboard where you're keeping a list of who's doing the right thing and who's doing the wrong thing. And the Holy Spirit wanted me to come by and tell some people today, it's time to throw away the scoreboard if you want unity in the home, get 
rid of it. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You got to get rid of the scoreboard and not keep score. Because unity is not a byproduct of, of ignoring our issues. It's like, for, when I first started talking about this, some of you were thinking, yeah, my spouse really needs this. But, but as we talked about those four words, those four virtues, you may have noticed that you got some issues, that you got some things, because the God's word works like a CAT scan. It will show us the areas that need improvement. Unity is not a byproduct of ignoring our issues. Unity is a byproduct of identifying our issues and being brave enough to handle them in a godly way. First question, where do we have unresolved conflict? Second question, why is our communication unclear? Why is our communication unclear? Now, if you're about to be married and you're like, Pastor, I need some premarital advice, um, the first piece of advice I could give you is this. Marriage requires you to be bilingual. Marriage requires you to speak multiple languages. Men, let me help the men out. I'm going to talk to the brothers for a minute. Men, um, communicating with your wife is difficult. Um, if you're getting ready to go out on a date, one night, whatever, you're going out to dinner, and she comes down and she says, how do I look? You, you may reply, I, I'm not, definitely not going to encourage this, but you may reply, you look fine. You look fine. Um, I know what you mean by that. You mean she looks good adequate for the occasion. That's what fine means, right? I mean, if you look up fine, it's good. She does not hear that she looks fine. She hears this outfit is trash. I feel disgusting. I'm going to change. That's what she hears. You've got to learn multiple language. If, if, if she asks you at the end of your day, how was your day? She does not want to hear the, what, what you and I want to say. Like, if we say it was a normal day, we just want to move on because there wasn't enough about the day that was important enough to talk about. If we say it was a normal day, um, she doesn't want to hear that. She wants to hear the alarm went off at 5.30 a.m. And when I gained consciousness, I thought about how beautiful you are and how blessed I am to be married to you. At 6.15, I was overwhelmed with feelings of anxiety because I felt insecure about an upcoming meeting that day that took me back to a childhood trauma. Come on, I ain't even at 7 a.m. yet. Some of you men are like, how do you spend two hours talking? I'll tell you how. I can show you how. That's what she wants. She wants much more detail. And here's the thing about communication. 86% of people who divorce, they will tell you that their core problem was communication. 86% of the people who divorce will tell you the core problem was we did not communicate effectively. Meaning that we either learn the skills of effective communication or our relationship, our marriage is doomed to fail. And I could talk to you about the power of tone. I could talk to you about active listening. I could talk to you about quality questions to help communication take place. But none of that matters 
without time. Time is the key component. People who are fluent in multiple languages, they will all tell you the same thing. You can order software, you can read the books, you can take a a class, but the greatest way to learn another language is to immerse yourself in another culture. If you want to be fluent in communication with your spouse, then you've got to immerse yourself into their world, and that cannot happen without you investing time into the relationship. Now, let me give you some examples of time, some things you could do immediately that would help your marriage. Number one, you could pray with them every day. Now, some of you, even that alone, that's like a stretch. You're like, well, I ain't got time to pray. It doesn't have to be a long two-hour prayer. It can be short. It can be concise. It can be to the point. But every day, we're going to pray together. You could also choose that once a week, we're going to block out some time to have at least one, one per week, two-hour conversation. Now, when I say two-hour conversation, I mean the phones are turned off, the TV's off, the kids are asleep, like two hours once a week that we're going to communicate without any interruptions because how many know interruptions destroy communication, right? And so we're going to have a two-hour block out of a seven-day period where we communicate without any interruptions. The third thing I would encourage you to do is one night per month that you go out on a date. And I'm not talking about the kids are there. I'm talking about you drop them off with whoever will take them. Right? And it's just you two, once a month, whoever will take them, take them. Because it's that important. Your marriage, that relationship is more important than your children. The best gift you can give your kids, the best gift you can give your kids is an incredible marriage. I don't care. You could go spend a million dollars on your kids tomorrow and it wouldn't be it would not be better than you giving them a model of an incredible marriage. That would mean more more to them than a million dollar check. Give them that. The fourth thing I would encourage you to do is once a year, once a year, you and your spouse get away for 3 or 4 days just the two of you. No kids. Some of you are like, man, this sounds real good. Keep preaching, preacher. I'm going to. But you need to do that. And, and, and you're thinking, well, how am I going to make time to pray every day, to have a two-hour conversation once a week, go on a date once a month, and to get away with my spouse once a year for three or four days? If you were to add all of that up, that would be 194 hours out of a possible 8,760 hours in a year. An easier way to say it, that's, that's a total of eight days that you would be committing to your marriage out of 365 days. It sounds like a whole lot until you compare it to the average person spends 1,642 hours or 68 days scrolling on their phone per year. You spend 68 days a year scrolling. And what I just encourage you to do was eight days. How many believe we can do a better job of investing in our marriages? We have time for whatever we're choosing to make time for. So question one, where do we have unresolved conflict? 
Two, why is our communication unclear? Number three, is our pursuit of Christ unequal? Is our pursuit of Christ unequal? Imagine for a minute, if you would, that you were handcuffed to another person and you were dropped off in the middle of Texas. All right? Handcuffed to another person, dropped off in the middle of Texas. That's a problem within itself, right? That's a problem. But let's, let's throw in another problem on, the, on top of that. One of you wants to go to Los Angeles, and one of you wants to go to Florida. And you're trying to talk it out, but no one is willing to compromise. The one is dead set on California, the other one's dead set on Florida, so you spend the next few hours trying to overpower one another. For a moment, one of you gets tired, and so now we're moving towards California until that person gets tired. The other one wakes up, and now we're pulling back toward Florida. We're, we're in this, this season of, of fighting one another, and I know that's an over-the-top visual, but that's where a lot of marriages are spiritually. They are two people who are joined together. One is passionate about growing in their faith and the other is stagnant. One is passionate to serve, the other is not. One wants to pray as a family, the other doesn't see it as a priority. And you may say, why is that even important? Why is that something we need to talk about? Because a person's faith informs every area of their life. It informs their life, their money, their time, their parenting, and which tells me that if we're not in agreement as it relates to faith and our relationship with Jesus, then every part of our relationship will be out of alignment. Every part of it. And this is something that must be addressed. Otherwise, you will spend your entire marriage as opponents instead of partners. Now, here's the bad news. Men, you're the problem. The man's like, we need a new church, baby. <laughs> you are the problem. Statistically speaking, men are the problem when it comes to this part of it. You're the one dragging your feet. Women outnumber men in church attendance and nearly every other faith marker. Women outnumber the men. Yet, God intended that the man not only go in a spiritual direction, but God intended that the man would lead the way. And I know it's intimidating for some of the men in the room because you don't feel like you have the answers or you don't feel like you have what it takes to lead your home and your marriage and your kids in a direction. But I want to give you some motivation. Can I motivate the men? The lady's like, please do, right? I want to motivate the men. Listen, men, you are never sexier than when you're spiritual. A popular book says sex begins in the kitchen. I say sex begins in the church. Come on, y'all acting all nervous, acting like y'all don't. How'd those kids get there? Right? You say, well, what, what do you mean I, I'm sexier if I'm spiritual? Because in worship, you display humility. Without worship, you display pride. By serving, you display compassion. 
Without serving, you display selfishness. By reading God's word, your integrity grows. Without God's word, your issues never change. So let me ask you, what's more attractive, a humble, compassionate guy with integrity or a prideful, self-centered guy with issues? You are sexier when you're spiritual. All the women can clap. There we go. Second motivation. The Holy Spirit is a great unifier. When you go to the fridge pondering the deep things of life and you pull out the jar of mayonnaise, you probably don't know what all goes into that jar of mayonnaise. And one of the challenges of making mayonnaise is getting the oil and the vinegar, which are two key components of mayonnaise, to come together. And oil and other liquids, we know they don't mix but they are necessary ingredients in mayonnaise. So what the makers of mayo do is they introduce an emulsifier into the ingredients. The emulsifier is eggs because the oil and the vinegar will both attach to the eggs. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things and in him all things hold together. There are times that you and your spouse, you're like oil and vinegar, unable to come together. And it's in those moments you need the Holy Spirit to be your emulsifier, to bring you together. I love counseling. I love curriculum. But the Holy Spirit can do more in a few moments than you could do in a lifetime. When you cannot agree on anything, we can agree we need Him. When we cannot get through to each other, He can get through to us. When we are trying to pull apart the emulsifier, the Holy Spirit can bring us back together. How many are thankful for the Holy Spirit that's engaged in our marriage? He works as a unifier, as a unifier to bring us back together. Where do we have unresolved conflict? Why is our communication unclear? Is our pursuit of Christ unequal? As the worship team comes back, the fourth question is our purpose going unfulfilled? I want you to notice, I didn't ask, is my purpose? Is our purpose going unfulfilled? What is motivating your marriage? What is motivating your marriage? Is it your feelings for one another? Is it your kids? Is it a dream of retirement? Is it just the fact that divorce is too expensive? What's motivating your marriage? Because the correct answer is really just one answer. The only thing that should be motivating our marriage is God's glory. Your marriage is the image of God. That you too came from two different backgrounds, you came together as one, and in that marriage, you reflect the image of God. I want to tell you a story to close this out. In 1969, there was a couple by the name of Dave and Brenda Reaver, and they were married in 1969, and right after they got married, he was drafted to serve in the U.S. military in Vietnam. And while there, Dave found himself in an intense battle. He went to throw a phosphorus grenade, and, but was wounded, causing this bomb, this grenade, to detonate right next to his face. 
And it was a miracle he survived, but reality is he suffered horrible burns to his body and to his face. He was airlifted from the battlefield and spent the next 14 months in a hospital. As he laid in the ICU in Japan, he watched a woman who came to visit one of his bunkmates. There was another burn victim from the war laying next to him. And his wife came in and she took one look at her husband who was, his body was destroyed, it was wrecked, he was disfigured, he was burned all over. And she just said, I cannot do this. And she removed her wedding ring and she laid it on his bed and she left. At that moment, Dave, laying in the bed beside what he just witnessed, he thought to himself, when Brenda gets here, she's going to feel the same way. His body completely disfigured, one eye left, couldn't even recognize him. He contemplated suicide and even attempted, and he joked about it later, that he, didn't even, he couldn't even take the feeding tube out right. He couldn't even kill himself. A few days later, Brenda did show up. And she took a look at him, and the only way she could recognize him was through the one eye he had remaining. She knew it was Dave. She came over to Dave, and she knelt down, and she kissed him and said, I love you. Dave and Brenda Reaver spent the next 40 years traveling the world, speaking in schools and military bases, preaching and teaching how God can turn tragedy into triumph. Literally tens of thousands of people have given their life to Christ because of their ministry. When asked why she did not leave Dave, Brenda communicated the idea that Jesus never left her and that they had a calling. <clears throat> Seeing God's purpose in your marriage is how you will endure the most difficult moments of marriage. There are times that you will not like one another. Smile at me, church. Come on, you know there are times the way he breathes. You don't like each other. There are times you're frustrated with each other. There are times you might want to give up on one another. But you know there is something more here and that is the call of God on your marriage. How did Abraham and Sarah stay together? I mean, how did they navigate this relationship with Hagar and this, the birth of Ishmael and this conflict that lived and dwelt in their home for 17 years? The reason they were able to make it through it is because they knew they had a call and they knew there was a promise of God on their marriage. And I'm so glad that they recognized the call because not only did they have Isaac, but Isaac produced Jacob. Jacob produced 12 sons who produced tribes and produced a nation that eventually produced a Savior who would die on a cross for the salvation of the entire world. Your marriage is called, listen, please hear me, it's called to more than white picket fences, settling to soccer games, a boat on a lake, or saving up for retirement, that is all good, but it's not your purpose. 
You and your spouse, you carry the image of God, you're filled with the Spirit of God, and you have a calling from God. Dream together, step out in faith together, pursue Jesus together, and let him show you the purpose he has for your marriage. This will become a weapon for you in your worst seasons. If you believe that, can you give Jesus a hand clap right there if you believe it? Come on, stand with me. I want you to take just a minute and uh, just bow your heads in this moment. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to marriages. He is speaking to marriages. We're going to pray uh, for marriages today and just believe that the Holy Spirit is going to work and move in every single marriage. But before we get to that part, I, I want to speak to people that are here that you want your relationships to work, but you know that in order for your relationships to work with people, you're going to have to get your relationship with God right. And I've been talking for the last couple of years about what true salvation is, what repentance is, what it looks like to follow Jesus, which is deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. It's recognizing I'm going in this direction, but I want to stop going in the direction I'm choosing. I want to repent of my way. I want to turn to Jesus and follow him. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one looking around, if you're in this room today and you know that you're not right with Jesus, and you need to repent of your sin, turn from your sin in order to follow Jesus. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to acknowledge you. I want you to be, be able to acknowledge it in this moment by saying, Pastor, you're talking to me today. I need to repent, turn from my sin, and follow Jesus. I want to do that. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, you're talking to me, anyone at all. anyone at all this morning. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask the prayer team and staff if you would come forward and go ahead and get in place. We're getting ready to open up the altars. Here's what I want to do. I want to do something different. If you have a prayer request specifically, you need God to do something, these altars are open. But I, I'm going to ask, I, I should have done this in the 9 o'clock and I didn't. But I, I really firmly believe that the greatest gift you can give your kids is a great marriage. That there's no relationship outside of your relationship with Christ more important than your marriage. And I think it's important that we take time to pray together, to seek God together, to worship together. So these altars are going to be open for anyone that, re that needs prayer this morning. If you need prayer for your marriage, one of these uh, prayer team members, they will pray with you and for you. They'll believe God with you. They'll speak into that. You don't have to be embarrassed. Everybody under the sound of my voice at one time or another had to pray for their own marriage, right? You had to pray for it and about it and get God involved in it. So there's nothing to be embarrassed about. But here's another step that I want to take today. If you're here with your spouse, they're with you, standing next to you, or they're in this room somewhere. Maybe y'all fought on the way here, so one of you is over here and one of you is over here. I, I would just encourage, this would be the moment that you get together. And I want everybody to take a step forward. It doesn't mean you got to come in front of a prayer team member unless you want that. But I want you to come together and at least while we worship during this last song, spend some time in prayer with your spouse. Spend some time in worship with your spouse. Does that sound all right? Can we give Jesus a big praise as the worship team comes? Let's all make a move and let's pray and worship together. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.